We are back with Riku. This is a good follow-up uh, I did with him. Um, we talked a lot about basically how in two years of competing in target archery, Riku took himself from working on the in a tractor on the side of the road just a couple years ago, you know, watching watching the Vegas shoot-off to the podium at Vegas, uh, this last year and getting a world ranking, um, that I believe is in the top 25, um, which is absolutely no easy feat. So there's a lot of great information in this episode, a lot of really solid little nuggets. Uh, and, uh, as always, thank you everyone who's listening and tuning in and, um, liking and subscribing and sharing the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it. It helps. Um, and I'm trying to pick up the pace. I know I've been, uh, taking it kind of slow and haven't been getting as many out as I'd like, but, uh, thanks again, everybody. And I hope you really enjoy this episode. Um, like I said, there's a lot of great information in it, a lot to be learned. Um, and yeah, uh, hit up Riku uh, if you ever have any questions for him uh, on all of his social media. Riku Van Tonder Archery is his archery page, I believe, on Facebook. Um, and I'm sure he's pretty easy to find on Instagram, too. I believe it's Riku underscore New Zealand or NZ, something along those lines. But I'm sure it will come up pretty quick if you search Riku Van Tonder on Instagram. Um, that's it. Hope you enjoy it. Right. All right. We are recording. Okay, cool. Good deal, man. So, um, so first I've got to say, not only are you, are you a Vegas podium finisher and a world ranked archer, but you are the Price Archery and Hunting Podcast Champion. <laughs> so don't don't forget that on the resume, man. That's cool. That's cool. I'll make sure <laughs> the next time I see um, Adam that I'll rub it in as well. <laughs> oh, you gotta let him know. You you took he Adam was Adam was pretty happy there for a while because he was at the top and then after we did your podcast, um, you were like neck and neck with him. And then after Vegas, I reposted the first one we did, and you yeah. just you doubled you doubled his number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's that funny. was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been almost a year, I think, since the last time we did a podcast. I know that's what's crazy. And well, let let, let me fix that. I we did do a podcast right after Vegas, and. That was completely my fuck up. I lost the recording and it had issues pulling it off Skype, which I think I got everything figured out on that now. Um, right. Because I've done a few since and it, it's worked good. So that was all my bad. But and I've had people asking too, like, what, when are we doing another update with Riku, man? I want to know what's going on. Like, cool. <laughs> well, I promise I'll get it. <laughs> No, it's good. It's good. No, it's all right. I um, 
and it ended up being so busy because I, I knew you wanted to do one and uh, we just ended up both getting busy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, man. I've been, I, I haven't been getting as many recorded as I'd like and I'm, I'm really trying to put the effort in. I've got, I've got so many people lined up that I want to do it with and I, I got all the outlines written out, you know, just some rough questions I want to ask and stuff that can kind of keep it going for a while and uh just started working out of town and got myself kind of busy but no excuse I'm gonna keep it going that's good that's good especially if you're in a hotel room that makes it easy right yeah I I really don't have any excuses anymore so (laughs) I better get some work done that's Um, good so man yeah it, for anyone listening in, I mean, the last time we talked, um, we kind of talked a lot about the work you were putting in and everything leading in to Vegas that next year, which was this last year. And let's jump into that, man. Okay. Um, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, but dude, Vegas, you took third place. Yeah, that's still kind of crazy to think about that, to be honest. It still feels like it's, um, it's a dream. It's definitely a bucket list thing uh, ticked off, but now the other bucket list thing has come up, which is to still w- win Vegas eventually. Um, I'm not putting sure. too much pressure on myself when I want to do that, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll just see. I don't want to put too much expectation on myself for the next time I go there. I just want to keep enjoying it and... Um, obviously keep enjoying hanging out with you guys as well because that that was a a really interesting and fun trip as well yeah Yeah. (laughs) it it was awesome you know we we got to sit and talk for a while and have dinner a few times and Mm. then as as the days progressed you know we were hanging out in the room doing a podcast and and bullshitting and all joking around and we were watching your shooting every day and we were just kind of like okay Let's just let Riku do whatever he wants. Let's not bother him. Let's just let his weekend keep going because he's he's on the track for the podium, and you sure as hell were, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really determined. Um, it's it's always hard coming from a small country like New Zealand where we don't, you know, shoot against, you know, the the sort of depth that you will ever do in Vegas, and then you you get to that stage, and you, you have to forget about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's just got to be your normal. Um, I mean, yeah, most of you guys are probably not used to shooting, you know, with that many people on the line, but yeah, you still have to make it as normal as you can. That's, I think that's my biggest struggle with indoors is how do you make it your normal? Especially, I mean, I like from our first conversation, you were, what, what was it? Two years ago, you were on a tractor on the side of the road doing work and you're, you know, a bow hunter, um, hadn't done really much tournament archery. And you're like, dude, I want, and you were watching the Vegas shoot or something. You're like, I want this. Yep. That's the year Mikey Schlosser won it for the second time or something. And, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I just watched that thing and I, I can still take it to the place I was sitting in the track here because we pulled over for lunch and I said to my pilot driver, let's, Let's just quickly watch this. I just want to watch the the finals. And, um, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. And I thought to myself, man, it'd be really cool to go there 
next year and that's what i eventually did i went in 2018 for the first time to vegas and um yeah that just surprised me so much you know it's such Mm -hmm. such a well-run competition and everyone is there that you always see um if you're interested in archery everyone's there all the vendors are there so it's really good to make contacts and meet people and you know see see pretty much the american side of archery and how that's done was pretty amazing to me but um going back the the second time was yeah definitely a different challenge in my mind i i took it pretty serious this time going and um i kind of knew exactly what i wanted from the first year that i went i just made this plan in my head and try to stick to it as much as i can yeah i i i gotta ask it was there ever was there a tournament in your first couple of years when when you got into tournament archery was there your first big tournament where where all the nerves came down on you and it just it just didn't work um i don't i, I still don't know like um even in 2017 when i um said i wanted to go to vegas i was starting to transition into doing a lot more target competitions I already uh-huh. done a few 3D competitions locally and stuff, and I did one international tournament, which was in Australia, and um, the nerves doesn't kick quite in like Vegas because it's just you're just shooting for yourself. It's field archery, uh, you know, outdoor sort of stuff. For me, I didn't really get the nerves. And even in Vegas, I don't know if it was 100% up to nerves or just... You know, a bit of a new environment, um, different situation, and you really wanted to make that impact. For me, I really wanted to make that impact the first year because for us traveling to the States, it cost an additional, you know, a lot of money to go and do a tournament like that. Like your plane tickets is mm-hmm. about $1,400 New Zealand to just get to Vegas. So that's, you know, roughly $1,000 more than it would cost you guys to go to Vegas. So I... Oh, wow. In my mind, I sort of thought, let's make this competition count as much as you can to see if I can, you know, maybe create a bit of interest in archery, even in New Zealand, and um, hopefully work off sponsors or whatever. Just sort of, I just sort of wanted to see what it does. So I know that's the wrong way to enter a competition, to try and shoot it for um, the possibility of sponsorships, but... I mean, with the sort of budget I have, that's the only kind of thing that I had to do is I needed to perform. And I, like we did say it on the podcast before, I didn't perform that well the first Vegas. I shot a 299, uh, 297 and a 299 in the last day. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I was used to shooting 300s. So 300s was all I did at home in practice. Um, but Vegas is a different scenario. You, you know, you're shooting so many people on the line and the the big thing in your mind the whole time is just not to make that one mistake one mistake can cost you the whole tournament or the whole weekend you know so um that was a different mental game i had to go back to new zealand and work on so what what was that process like because because what you just said is is the perfect example of guys um uh, i mean your first year is kind of where, where I feel like I'm at right now. Whenever I show up to Vegas, I can pound three hundreds all day and practice mm. before that shoot, but I get there and it's a 99, 97, 99 kind of thing. Um, 
where what what was the transition is it just a lot more visual visualization yeah quite a bit more it's it's a lot of visualization and the biggest thing i think is also not to put that weight on your shoulders um just go in there and just try and shoot at your normal you're gonna have mm-hmm. days where it's not shooting as well as you you're used to at home i mean i don't even have practices at home that feels the same every day um but i've also recognized when i'm shooting really strong so what i mean by that is if i say have a day off um and i'll shoot the next day sometimes i'll shoot really good uh i'd say like 95 percent of the times i'll shoot really well that day after a rest day the second day i shoot real average the third day i probably shoot at my worst and then from the fourth day to the sixth day, I'm I'm shooting awesome. Like I'm shooting very consistently. Shots are going off the way I wanted. So um, it's then trying to train yourself again. Like what is my worst? So if my third day is my worst, is there anything I can do in my setup to make that a bit more forgiving? So if I maybe shoot doesn't don't shoot to my capabilities. Can I do something on my equipment that's going to, you know, still hit that line 10? Because that's all you need in Vegas. Um, And it's about looking at the target as well and thinking about that 10 ring. For me, and I said it to a good friend of mine in Vegas, um, one of the South African people that went with us in Vegas, I think you would have met them. um, Yeah. Yeah, so the girl was shooting and um, I said to her, look, you see that 10 ring and it's two inches uh, wide but you have to remember if you're shooting a 27 arrow you know you're shooting double that now so all of a sudden the 10s just become bigger so if you can make that in your mind that the 10 is easy to shoot and it's you know comfortably bigger because you're shooting bigger arrows then you're starting to make the game easier in your head because the harder we're trying to make things in life the harder it sort of you know seems and that's when you start struggling more so it's, it's these small things that I try to do to make it easier for myself. Yeah. Well, and that kind of makes me think of some stuff I, I was taught early on about, about like really where you're aiming. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people aim for the 10 ring instead of aim for the X. And, you know, it, it's like you're, you're trying to hit an area. And if you're mm. aiming for the bigger of the two areas, you're more, you know, aim small, miss small, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's about, I, I don't, don't, don't aim too much. I think just, you know, take it easy. Just really get it in the middle and just get the shot off. And if you have everything aligned and you, you're shooting consistent shots, you will find that you're just going to start shooting the middle out in any way. Um, if I, but personally for me if i try and really get that dot sitting in the middle and just burning it through the middle and then getting the shot go and i'm really concentrating on where that dot is sitting that's usually when i start over aiming and yeah i might shoot good for four or five ends but Mm -hmm. it's after that when the score is starting to build and you're starting to put it on the line that's when i start making mistakes so for me i choose to shoot with a very blurry lens i've got no clarifier in my peep so i'm shooting a six power lens and i can't i can make out the lines but i can't see the lines very clearly and that's kind of what i want i just want Mm -hmm. to put that 
dot in the middle, stare the, the hell out of that middle of the target face and just have it sort of hovering in the middle and executing the shot. Keep the pressure push pulling and get it gone. Interesting. So is it, um, is the shot going without it? Like it, it just goes in a certain amount of time? on its own yeah. or do yeah. you activate it when it's stopped no i i do shoot a thumb button um uh-huh. and I did shoot a thumb button in vegas but i still all i'm trying to do is i'm just gently trying to squeeze off the trigger and not you know punch it so right. i i'm having it sort of go off about at seven to eight seconds and the more you train the more that rhythm just keep going it just keeps going, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you just find yourself in a rhythm. Um, and that's kind of what happened in the first day in Vegas. I just I just shot really well the first day in Vegas, and it started feeling like everything was in a rhythm. Um, yeah. And it just sort of, yeah, it just came to me. The second day, though, was horrible. I shot a 300, but it was like a 19X or something. I can't really remember, but it was something horrendous like that. But it was still a 300, right? So... <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was like a 24x, which is still pretty awesome. But if I remember <laughs> correctly, I know we were watching, and and I can't I can't remember. I think I think it's on the podcast I did. We were talking to Adam, and he's like, "Ooh, he he had a rougher day today." And I'm like, "What? He dropped like three more x's than yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I oh, know it's. And the third day, I had another good day, except for yeah. the very second to last shot was almost out. It was mm-hmm. very close, but it's still a 26 X, and um, I moved on to the shootout. And I got to say, I think the shootout was easier than that three days of consistently shooting your best. Dude, I mean, until until that final round of the shoot off i mean you most definitely just looked calm collected just relaxed you were just shooting a game you know yeah. and it it yeah. was so obvious to see when i was like i could see other people's nerves as the camera was panning on them but mm. it, it, you were definitely in your game yeah i was always feeling good Ever since I woke up that morning and I went down to the practice range, everything just came together. I was shooting really calm. Everything was just really going the way I wanted it. And again, it was coming back to knowing yourself. Funny enough, that Sunday was the fourth day of my shooting. And that's usually when my shooting gets better. So first day official practice went pretty good. Second day I shot really good. So that was the official scoring day. Third day is usually my worst day, which was the Saturday, and I still dropped the 300, but with a low X count. Fourth day was my second best day of it all, you know, even in training. So, again, the body was just consistently used to that sort of graph where you, you know, train in a certain way and you make it used to it. I, I do believe in that sort of stuff. I think it does make sense that your body is used to doing things a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, when it's you just said something really important too about your fourth day being mm. your shoot off. Um, mm. Even though it's still on the same third day, 
Uh, it, it's just like it, it was such a dumb thing that finally dawned on me that I wasn't shooting enough arrows in practice for indoor stuff, you know, and yeah. that was holding me back from from consistent three hundreds for a long time because I was getting tired on the third arrow all the time. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's the same concept. How many people train knowing they can constantly shoot a nine hundred, but don't train? to be ready for that shoot off that same day afterwards when you're there's 25 of you you guys i mean that oh, could have been a lot longer than it did yeah it was it was crazy um i mean it was so so good to see the composure of like someone like sergio sergio was just shooting lights out you know he just oh yeah. it was his year it was definitely his year i you know and i'm super happy that i got a podium um but i mean it was just his year um he, he just shot amazingly and it's cool to see that composure of you know that top level guys that's you know shooting that way and i mean i can say top level guys although i was counted as one of them in vegas it still doesn't feel like it because i mean i still look up to those guys they, they're phenomenal archers you know yeah yeah well i i definitely think you should see yourself as one of those and i i think that's the cool thing about archery too is um, whether, whether you look up to someone or, or see them as your peers, it's, mm-hmm. a, a, there's really nothing else out there where, where you can stand next to the best in the world, you know, and, and compete with them just by paying a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, I know, right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and again, it, it, it also proves to you that, you know anything is possible if you believe in, enough in it and um that's what sort of showed me this year again you know just just you got to believe in yourself um i had some amazing support you know getting me to vegas this year and i mean i don't have to say but the people that were involved would know exactly what i'm talking about and um mm-hmm. you know that sort of stuff i'm always thankful for because if it, if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have been there um at all i I couldn't afford actually going to Vegas this year and they made it possible and um, I, I forever will be grateful to them for that. It's um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you feel free to shout out anyone and everyone you want. I, I've got no issues with that at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, no they, they know who they are. And, um, yeah. I'm going to keep it that way as well. Um, I'm more than happy to share their names, but I don't want to put them in a tough spot. No, no, for sure. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, no, it's it's just been a it's been a whirlwind of a year, to be honest. After Vegas, stuff just went, you know, nuts. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that you know, your life can change that much after one competition like that. That is pretty cool. So why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? What what was what was some of the stuff that that followed Vegas? Yeah, so I got got a bit of an opportunity to then um, go to travel more of the world, pretty much to go and shoot some more. So um, I have to back up a little bit before Vegas because that it's a pretty important part of this whole thing that you know ended up mm-hmm. for the whole year. Is um, New Zealand has the outdoor nationals. Uh, four yes. weeks before we had Vegas. So I was actually shooting outdoor stuff and renovating my house at the same time. Uh, and the first week of January this year, 
so literally four weeks out from Vegas, I won the New Zealand Outdoor National Target um, Championships. And yeah. that was a whole week of competition. Uh, the Friday it was recorded, put on YouTube as well, and I was pretty happy to to get away with um, winning that tournament. Then that same weekend, the Saturday and Sunday, we had a qualification event for the World Cup Championships, which was just the Netherlands a month ago, and also to be selected for the World Cup teams uh, for the different um, stages this year. So I ended up qualifying in top spot for that as well, and. I remember getting home that Sunday night. I was pretty beat up. Getting home, getting up the morning, my same, you know, sort of crazy hour routine where I get up at four o'clock in the morning and um, I started building my Vegas bow um, directly after mm-hmm. the selection event that Monday. And that was, you know, three and a half weeks away from Vegas. So Vegas happened, came back to New Zealand um, and I had a week and a half, got back stuck back into work, and um, I then travelled to Cincinnati again to shoot your um, indoor nationals. The five yeah. tournament was held in Cincinnati, um, which was again it was something that I totally expected not to even do uh, because you know that, that wasn't on the cards money wise. Um, luckily, um, you know, got thrown a bone a little bit from my sponsors, which Botek. They helped out with that one, and I travelled to Cincinnati. I had a big oops in the 13th where I completely missed an arrow, and um, <laughs> that was it. I shot a 59X with a T95, and yep. um, that's pretty much all she wrote. So that was, that was pretty pretty funny in some ways because you just come back from a big tournament like Vegas, and then you totally make an ass of yourself shooting an arrow miss <laughs> at your indoor nationals. But... I mean, it was a great experience. It was a great weekend with, um, I had, we had, Hendry was there and um, Roger Willett was there as well. We, we had a bit of a good time with them and also oh, Sergio was there as well and we went out a couple of nights for dinner and that, so that was good fun. Um, then I came back to New Zealand, so every time travel, it, I would travel out of New Zealand the Wednesday and I'll be back on the Tuesday. So it was a really quick trip from here to the States and again, it's like, 20 hour flight to to mm-hmm. the states so a pretty tough week getting straight back from a flight like that and then the next day i'll be back at work and um i got back to wednesday and the saturday we had our training camp for the world cup seasons coming up um so i was pretty pretty beat up with that oh wow not ready, not ready at all for that sort of stuff and um yeah i then traveled then i had a couple of months off um from traveling and i went to shanghai in china in may of this year and i competed at the second stage of the world cup target and um yeah i did did okay i didn't do as good as i wanted to do the wind was a bit tricky in that stadium and i wasn't wasn't used to it everyone kept telling me about how crazy the wind swirls in that stadium but um you've got to be there to to actually see it and um the first round was absolutely it was bad. <laughs> I shot, so we're shooting the 720 events, obviously, the World Archery events. And um, I shot, I think, off memory, like a 344 out of 360 the first half. And mm-hmm. I was just, the wind was blowing my arrows just around the nine. Every time 
you set it off and it's it's sitting so nicely and thin and as soon as you let the arrow off you see a drift and um i thought nah bugger that and the second half of that round i shot really good i ended up shooting a 353 out of 360 to qualify with a 697 so it was below the 700 okay. It was my first World Cup of Endeavour, so I was pretty pretty happy in some ways. I think I qualified in 22nd, and I I think I won one or two match plays um, for the ranking, and I think I finished in, gosh, I can't remember now, but I think it was either 24th or uh, 6th, uh, 17th. So um, it was pretty good, you know, to, to go to a World Cup and do that, but it's definitely not where I wanted to be. Uh, but took it as a learning curve, came back to New Zealand. I had another three and a half weeks to get ready for the World Championships in Netherlands. Um, and that was quite tough mm-hmm. because we're, we just entered our winter in New Zealand. So we had rain and wind and everything, which is not always bad because I thought, okay, use the winter your advantage. And I ended up setting a really good arrow up um, that can really perform well in the wind because that was the one thing in Shanghai that I felt could have gone a lot better is um, how my arrows performed in the wind. So mm-hmm. uh, back to the drawing board with that and I ended up making pretty good arrow. Went to Netherlands and um, yeah, shot okay. Didn't qualify as high as I wanted to. It was pretty crazy. We've had, we had, I think, I think it was 38 people shoot above 700. Um, at that event, which is absolutely insane. Uh, for, yeah. You know, just shows you the level of uh, talent out there in archery at the moment. It is just absolutely amazing. Um, and I qualified something like 63rd, like really bad. I just, I was shooting the new Bowtech Reckoning, and I've only been shooting it for two weeks at that event. And, um, the bow was shooting absolutely well, but I think I was trying to overshoot it a bit. And what I'm trying to say there is I, I just tried too hard. And what I was saying before when we talked about the indoor stuff about over-aiming, it's pretty much in that same line. I was really trying to over-aim it too much, where the new Bowtech Reckoning is actually really nice to shoot. And if you just relax and you put it in the middle and you just execute your shot, it's going to be a true shot and it's going to land in the middle. And... Um, I, I opened up with three good halves and then I just dropped off pace a couple of times and that was enough to just kill the kill the qualifying session for me. So went back that night to the hotel and I started, you know, visualizing it a bit and doing a little bit of match play stuff the next morning. As soon as I got to the practice range, I just started shooting match play with myself. And um, yeah, it's, it ended up being a really good tournament for me because I ended up again in 17th, which is still pretty much the same as Shanghai, but with a bigger field of talent. I ended up knocking out uh, Breen Federickson, which was the silver medalist in Shanghai. So that oh, wow. just shows you, it shows you the level of archery again at the World Cup in Netherlands that, you know, he, although he was the silver medalist in Shanghai, um, we met each other in the top 16th match and um yeah it was crazy good man it was it was crazy good so still didn't finish where i wanted to go i was pretty gutted because i got kicked out by chris Schaff and um he shot amazingly well i shot okay didn't shoot as good as i wanted to but 
Um, it's a pretty tough field to progress in that, but it gave me again enough tools to hopefully do well when we do it next. So you can probably compare it to my first year in Vegas. You know, you sort of take a little bit of building blocks to every tournament where you go and um, you just get better and better, hopefully. <laughs> it might be early days, but yeah, hopefully you get better and better as you go. Yeah, I mean, what? well, first of all, I got to tell you, man, just just to have a world ranking, I mean, there's only a handful of people out there who even get that opportunity. So mm. to be to be in top 25, it is just incredible. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was it was good. It, it was really a good feeling. Um, what you say, you know, you look at it like that first year in Vegas. So what with with those tournaments, what uh, what do you walk away with feeling like like you're going to work on for this next year? How, how are you going to prepare to kind of have that better result like you did for Vegas? It's still a bit of a work in progress for myself there. Um, what I'm what I'm planning to do is just it's pretty much match play, to be honest. You're gonna match play is where it's at. It wins or breaks your whole event. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy when you go to those events. It's I particularly don't love those events. The reason for it being is. If we compare it to Vegas, like the World Archery World Cup stuff, if we compare that to Vegas, in Vegas, we all shoot a qualifying score to get into the shootout. Now, I don't know how high I was ranked in the Vegas shootout before we went in. I probably, let's say I was about midway of the 25 guys. Let's say I was in 13th or 14th position. Mm-hmm. But the, the guys that was ranked one and two and three, they ended up falling out pretty quickly, you know. Uh, because at that yeah. moment in time, which is like a match play, that's when the real nerve started coming in and people started dropping out or missing the small team. Um, but everyone on that line, the 25 of us, had an equal chance to win Vegas. Like any one of that 25 guys right. you know, had the right to win Vegas. And that Sergio Pagni won Vegas a few years ago you know, by exactly that thing. He was the lucky dog. And he still won Vegas. I really like that format of a competition because the strongest shooter on the day will be the best archer. Now, with the World Cup stuff, if let's say for some reason I made a huge cock-up in my qualifying and I versed someone like Mikey Schlosser or Braden Galantine or those guys, although I can shoot good enough to get into the top 17, but because I'm ranking that first-ranked archer, first up he most possibly could knock me out i mean for worse for him i could knock him out and just off of one bad match or something that determines your competition and i know it's knockout stuff that's that's the way it's supposed to work but i had a look at the field when i shot into the top 16 and i can't remember i think it was dom buden shooting a guy against a guy from australia um and Dom dropped in 148 on him, and the other guy shot a 147. Uh, so mm-hmm. Dom beat by a point, but that was the two highest scores across the field. You know that's that's wow. tough. That's tough, man. Yeah, it almost it almost seems like that that the design of that is 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 to give those top guys that second chance. Like if you are. Mm. 
you know, if you are a 149 qualifier or something and, and you screw something up, um, you have that chance of being the really good guy, you know, mm. the, the really good shooter who who just says, well, I'm going to have to work my way up through this again. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if you're the guy who qualifies with with a lower score because that's where you score – I mean, it's it's asking a lot of you. You you really have to over, you know, overshoot. You you got to step your game yeah. up to, to yeah, progress on. That's exactly it. I mean, it is it is good in some so many ways. Um, it is an extremely tough competition to go to, and that's that's why I had to bring that up because the way I'm going to approach my training for the next year is you. You cannot progress in this World Cup stuff if you don't shoot a 150 in the men's division. You, I mean, you have to go there literally and dropping drop a 150 every single time if you want to start winning these events. Um, it's that's where archery is at the moment. It, it is on that high level that you just have to shoot at your best all the time. So I think my biggest uh, mistake was to take those competitions and go, okay, well. It's okay to shoot one nine out of all the arrows. You know, it's okay to make one small mistake or something. With this World Cup knockout stuff, you just got to make sure that you shoot perfect all this all the time. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that that thing? I mean, we see it everywhere now in archery. It, it doesn't matter what tournament you're talking about. Vegas, Reading. You know, uh, you've got Reading, you've got a, a course record of one point down. And there was probably a certain year where, where the jump was kind of big. Or, or Vegas, you got a record year of 25 people shooting a perfect 900. Do you think, I mean, clearly it seems like the sport is getting harder to win. Do you think, do you think there's just more talented people coming in or dedicated people coming in or do you think the equipment's improving allowing more opportunity to shoot scores like that i i do think but of both really um yeah i think the equipment is coming to a stage now where the the bows are just super easy to get right you know it's I'm going to bring up the Botech Reckoning again. That thing took me uh-huh. all maybe an hour and a half to set up. And at the moment, I'm shooting it. I've put the Fanatics aside because the Reckoning is shooting that good for me that I don't even look at the Fanatics anymore. Um, and it took me an uh-huh. hour and a half to set them up. You know, it's super easy to do. And you, you're away and you're going. Where if I take four years ago, setting up again, same brand of bow boutiques they did tune awesomely well but making sure everything is still tuned a couple of you know months late later or something you, you mm-hmm. had to constantly check that sort of stuff um now i feel we're coming into a stage where you know the bows are getting that good and that reliable that you can just go and shoot and the biggest thing you have to work on is just yourself now it used to be like that in any way. It, it never changed in that fact. But I also feel like this year especially was maybe a bit of a freak year. And I've heard it a bit by a lot of people saying the same thing. And I do think there is something to it. 
is the fact that there hasn't been a new target by release from any of the major companies for a while, uh, for the last yeah. three years or something. And whether or not it is that the guys are really getting to know their bows really well and just really honing in on their skill and getting better with the bow and their skill, it's just a perfect marriage of each other and we're kind of seeing the results at the moment. That could be possible. I don't know, but I do think it's a bit of both. And you also have to remember that the pool of people getting into archery is getting bigger and bigger. And mm. I don't know when exactly we will see the Michael Jordan of archery yet. Um, I mean, we have incredible guys at the moment and they might be the Michael Jordans of our time. We don't know because everything keeps changing so much. Like the American that ended up winning the world championships in Netherlands. Um, yeah. Young kid, he's like, I, I don't even know. James, like uh, James Lutz, Lutz right? Yeah, yeah, he's like, he's like twenty or something. Um, apologies if if he's older, but he's real young. And go and have a look at his stats at the moment. He's only shot two World Cups ever in his life. He shot the one in Turkey, and he walked away with a gold medal. And he went to the Netherlands to compete in the championships, and he won the gold medal. So his win rate is a hundred percent. So on paper, it looks like a freak of nature. And, I mean, he's good. He's crazy good. Um, but, you know, we are entering that stage where people are checking it out on YouTube. They, they're watching mm -hmm. videos the whole time. I've heard Brandon telling me that, you know, he watches videos all the time um, on YouTube, uh, checking other archers and stealing bits and pieces of their form and using it for himself and we're entering that age where people are going to start doing that, analyzing every single thing every archer does to make sure, you know, they are getting the advantages out of their archery that they can. Yeah. Gosh dang, man. And I think that's, wow. That's a, I, I never really thought about that. How, how perfect his record is now. And God dang. Um, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> It makes you wonder, yeah, is is somebody, is it him or someone else? Is there someone going to be out there who who has the stats after five, six, seven years that you can that, that you can call them the Michael Jordan of archery? Um, yeah, I've got I've got my theories as well. I don't I don't know if you'll ever I I don't know. This might be this might be my worst thing that I'll ever say, but. I don't know if you'll get the guy that's going to start shooting when he's 19 and continue for six continuous years, like, you know, your Michael Jordans or 10 years, that they just dominate for 10 years in a row. Um, the reason I'm saying that, if this is going to be, <laughs> this might sound really weird, but if it's going to be an archer and he's 19 years old, right, and he starts shooting and he, he just opens up with a bang, and like this Jamie James guy, if he shoots amazing for the next 10 years, kudos to him. He's done exceptionally well. And I, I, I really hope he can do it in some ways because it'd be really cool to see something like that in the sport. Yeah. But when you're 19 years old, I know I'm, I'm, I'm over 10 years as senior now, but at 19 years old, you don't have responsibilities yet. You don't have a family. <laughs> you don't have a, a wife to look after at home. You probably don't worry that much about work either and where you're going in your career so there's a lot less on the line and you're shooting with such a clear conscience at that point in time and then 
I'm not going to name names, but you can go and have a look at all the archery records. When did people shoot the perfect scores and all that? What age were they? And then all of a sudden you see them drop off when they reach an age of about 22, 23. And that's when they start getting a little bit more responsibilities, whether or not it's the sponsorships and the sponsorships are paying for them to travel the world to shoot these competitions. And they know if they don't perform that they you know, won't get enough money in the kitty for the next season. And then they start shooting with a conscience. Then they start mm-hmm. dropping off because now it's more than just shooting your bow. It's a livelihood. And then eventually they start picking up when they turn about 24 and they start getting a little bit more mature and they just, you know, outperform and they keep going. I am more inclined to say you'll see that happening in the women's division rather than the men's division where a woman like I'll use Paige, for instance, she might dominate for the next 15 years, depending on what she's going to do. And, you know, if she's going to decide to start a family or whatever, but women, women have a better chance to do that. I think than men do just because women women think a little bit better than us men. (laughs) It's sad to say, (laughs) it's true. They're a bit more responsible and, you know, from a younger age, they seem to be a bit more responsible for, you know, what they're actually doing in life. They think things a bit through where us guys, or maybe it's just me, we don't think everything through all the time. We just, you know, go balls deep and get into it. Yeah. Well, it, there's there's a lot to be said with what what you just put out there is so important to understand. As much as people don't want to um, address it, when you're a kid with zero responsibilities except homework and and doing your chores at home and and you get a passion for something like archery and you put three, four, five hours a day into it, it you you definitely have nowhere to go but up in the beginning. Yeah. And and you without a doubt, I, I've seen it from a million people. I've seen I've seen plenty of guys who were who were sixteen, seventeen years old in a Vegas shoot off back at the Riviera mm. that um, that that in the future the, the, they're not even in archery anymore because they were yeah. like, ah, you know what? Forget that. Uh, I'm gonna do, take this day job and you know get married and pay my bills and stuff like that. And some of them mm. you see show back up, and some of them don't. But it's very rare once they they leave to see them come back and, and, and become a champion again. And it's like there's a there's a comfort zone. It's almost I. It's interesting you bring up Paige too because she's she's past that, way past yeah. that. You know she she she's she's an adult. She has a home. She mm-hmm. whatever the case is pays a mortgage or however that all works. But she knows this is her livelihood and it's been her livelihood for a good number of years and she's comfortable with it. So. It's almost like there's a wall that that she broke past, and there's a handful of men who've broken past that. But that's, I mean, that thing is next to impossible to break through, and that's what's so special about you is is you have the desire to break through that wall, but 
you're like me. You're not going to risk what you have with the family. You had, you had a certain amount of money you made every year. You had a livelihood that, that you're not, you're not going to go take out a giant loan and say, come on guys, give me a chance. Give me a year to try and, and be one of the best in the world and make a living in archery. No, you're getting up at three in the morning. You're using days off from work. You're not, you're, you're, you're sacrificing something, a time, but you're not sacrificing anything, risking anything for your family. Yeah. And yeah. that's amazing. Although that's the concept, but you still are like, Going overseas, oh, yeah. it does cost a lot. You know, that's I'm not going to use my my time off work to pay for my time that I'm absent from work. So um, that week that I'm not going to be at work, I'm not earning any money. So right. yes, it it is still a gamble, and um, I'm very lucky in that sense to have the kind of wife and family that I have that you know is able to give me my chance to go and do this because. You know, the way we looked at it is if we don't try, we'll never know. Um, I'll never know how good I will be in the world. So far, I'm I'm sitting at a certain uh, world ranking, and that's cool. But I don't know if there's going to be more. We'll know. Like in the next year or so, if I completely dropped off the pace, yeah, sure. Then I'll know, and then I can make peace with it, and I can continue on with life. Um, but it could go the other way as well. I could go further up, you know. You just never know. Yeah. Um, and you just have to prepare yourself for the best possible event every single time. Um, yeah, so, I mean, next year is going to be interesting as well for me. Um, it's sort of starting already, that getting ready for next year because we're now indoor season at the moment in New Zealand because it's obviously winter time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. There's um, it's amazing too to think like if, let's say you know we didn't pin down the exact ranking, but let's say you're ranked 17th in the world right now. If you put that kind of ranking in any other sport in the world, uh, you'd be a millionaire, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But That's in archery, it's I'm, like, I'm so who are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so kicking myself for not starting to play golf. Maybe I should have started playing golf. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, dude. If you put that drive towards golf, you'd be living on Pebble Beach right now in a mansion. We'd be <laughs> we'd be driving down and, and visiting you. Well, no, I wouldn't have known you. I'd have been watching <laughs> you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Nah. No, I'm still pretty happy I started doing archery. I still think yeah. there are so many advantages in this sport that, um, yeah. Do you, what do you think about um, yeah, the, think. oh, sorry, you cut out for a second. Oh. I think I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, I sort of had a call on my phone, so I just um, declined them. <laughs> oh no problem i was i was gonna ask you what do you think about um about the number of tournaments there are out there now because there's a lot of people who don't like that personally i like it a lot i think if the sport's gonna keep keep growing like i i would i would love it if 
if, if like California and um, the West Coast out here, like if our outlaw stuff was as big as like ASA stuff and my mm-hmm. year would be what it is now, outlaw, Reading, Vegas, and I, and I would get to say that those are huge events. That would be the dream for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in so. If you asked me a year ago, I would have probably given you another answer. Like I would have said, yeah, I would love to see more events or participate in more events. But after the the little bit of travel I did compared to someone like Bernie Galantine and those sort of guys, you know, they travel pretty much every week. They travel to a different country or a different place where they got to shoot, and I, I know now how tough that can be. A year ago, I thought that's the dream. Um, it's a lot tougher than people think, not just on yourself, but also on your family or work or whatever. It's, it is really tough. And for that reason, mm-hmm. I would say, unless you are getting paid full time to do it, and if you're in the position to, to afford it, yeah, it'd be great to shoot more competitions. But as probably 90% of us guys that maybe get some sort of support by both companies or whatever, if 90% of us will probably choose to maybe have the tournament spaced out a lot more so you have more time to sort of recoup after a trip. Um, yeah. Yeah, because if you're going to do all the World Cup stuff, it's, it's, it's insane. Like, I don't know if you've had a look at the schedule, but... And the, the first World Cup was actually in the first weekend of May. Then in the third weekend of May, it was in China. Then it was a week and a half later, it was in Turkey. Uh, two weeks after Turkey, it was in Netherlands, the World Championships. Then after a week and a half, just, a, just under two weeks, again, it was in Berlin, which was just last week. So if I was to do all the World Cups, I would have been literally at home for about three weeks all up since May if I was to do all those competitions. Wow. So for traveling, that makes it insane. Right, right. And, well, I I think what I mean more is, is... like, do you see it as good that maybe these turn that that tournaments are are getting uh, there's more sh- getting bigger and growing? So let's say let's say our outlaw events out here, which you're slightly familiar with from what we've told you about them all, um, you know, just Reading style shoots. Let's say those those tournaments um, got as big as something like ASA. Or, or OPA, or Reading. If each one of those events was that big, clearly there's going to be tons of pros who want to go to them. But mm. it, those, without a doubt, are going to overlap with other shoots in the United States, uh, World Cup events, things like that. Do you think that's an issue? Or do you think that's good that the sport's growing that much? That there's, I mean... Yeah, I think it's good. It is it is really good. Um, I don't think we've tapped the market for archery in the sense of where the sport can go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of, 
inclined to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, but there is still some sort of competition format that's hopefully going to be created that's going to, you know, make the sport a bit more watchable. Um, until that happens, then I think there is still enough space for different areas in the sport to grow. So what I kind of mean by that is um, World Archery can still do their World Cups. You guys can still do your Outlaw Series, and you're still going to get, you know, thousands of people attending some of these events. Um, yeah. Until there's a certain format that someone's going to create where it's going to be extremely good to watch the sport from your couch. When that happens, then there's going to be major money hopefully involved. And then, yeah, then the archers can make some money as well. And then that sort of competition style would pretty much dominate the way other competitions will be forming, if you sort of understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. See, I think I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And because I, I, I hear a lot of people talking about that and, and what and everybody talking about how to get archery on TV and mm. and how to change things to make it a spectator sport, do different types of tournaments and this and that. And you know what? When when I look and realize that that like you got cornhole and horseshoes and whatever else on ESPN and people are watching it, it's mm. because it's because people who I, I just think people who like archery are willing to watch archery, mm. but I think we're looking for the wrong place to put it. I, I think we need to just focus on something like YouTube. You mm. know, it's free. I mean, obviously it's going to cost somebody money to set up the, the right type of cameras and get live video of something. But yeah, I think if it's if that's done a little differently and hopefully live and social media is used to draw more attention to that, I think people will watch it. And you know? and something that's extremely easy to understand. It needs to be extremely yeah. easy to understand. Like for instance, I, I see it every day when obviously New Zealand's a pretty small country. Uh, we're not archery focused as a sport, you know. Everyone doesn't even know what what I've done this year in Vegas. Where in America and the archery scene, Vegas is a big deal. Over here, yeah. there's still archers archers that's competing with me on the line that don't always realize what Vegas is. They know of it, but they don't actually know what it is um, because it's hard to explain to someone that format it might be easy for us to understand it because we've done it a couple of times, but how do you pull a guy off the street and explain to him what Vegas is? You know, if we use golf mm -hmm. as an example, again, how easy is it to explain someone to someone in golf uh, or about golf and say to him, look, this guy, he has four shots to get this ball from here to that hole over there. If he shoots one over, that's not good. But if he shoots one under or two under, that's considered really good. That's all you need to know about um, golf, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's really easy for people to watch because they can just see this guy drive this ball for a freaking, you know, 200 yards sometimes. So, again, it's something to see because these guys are, you know, hitting the ball very far. And then they get to sink it 
and minus two from what it was parted. So how can we create that same thing in archery where it's easy for people to understand? When I went to these World Cups, for instance, I had to constantly explain to people that's close to me, okay, so it is considered to shoot a 700 is good. Anything below that is probably not so good, but everything over it is considered really good. And they go, okay, so you're saying 700? How many arrows do you shoot? Oh, okay, we shoot 72. All right, so you shoot it at that big yellow thing? Yeah, and it, off the eye, it looks kind of easy, but people that has shot it would tell you, no, nah, it's really hard to shoot the 10 or even shoot the 9 sometimes. It's challenging to keep everything in, inside the yellow. Again, it's how do we educate people watching the sport? I think that's, that's where it's going to lie in the end. To, to crack the sport open. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because I, I feel like like everyone's hoping to to make it a spectator sport, kind of like UFC or something like that. You know, ninety percent yeah. of the people who watch UFC probably have never fought a day in their life. They're they're not into jujitsu or any, but they enjoy watching it. Right. It, it, I almost feel like you have to, you'd have to do some crazy antics in the sport <laughs> to make people want to watch it that way. Or you could focus on your own audience and try and mm. cater to them. You know, it's like uh, the, the poker stuff, World Series of Poker mm. and all that stuff is on major, major TV channels. So I'm sure a lot mm. of people are watching it because it's on all the time. Yeah. But it's probably because everybody knows how to play poker yeah. and they, they know, oh, these guys are playing for, for whatever, $10 million. Yeah. I want to see what happens while they're playing see, for $10 million. I do think that Bruce Cole with the Vegas tournament has – he's created something special there because yeah. the qualifying stuff – might not be that interesting for everyone and there's a reason i think he's not filming that or anyone is actually filming that it makes total sense to me but that shootout i mean i could i could play that in front of people and they could get exactly what i was busy trying to do when i was doing the vegas shootout it was it's easy to understand and it's pretty entertaining because what you're seeing yeah. is guys shooting the middle out of a target and that's right. that looks pretty amazing. So I do think that is knocking on the door of something special. Um, and obviously, it's growing in the sport. I don't know how many people were standing in those stands that night, but it was. It sure seemed like a lot when you when you're standing down there shooting. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's it, it's a really cool spectacle to watch, and yeah. and I. I almost think it's almost like um, our our audience is out there because it, when I look at Facebook and all these different pages related to archery, I, there there are hundreds of thousands of people involved in archery, and and, and compared to TV numbers and stuff like that that you'd get on views on a show, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. But for our sport, that's something big for sponsors. Yeah. And, and you see 
like you look at 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 a hundred thousand followers on Hoyt's page, hundred thousand mm. followers on PSE, hundred thousand on Matthews. That's not all the same hundred thousand people either. So that tells no. me there's there's probably close to half a million people at least in the U.S. scrolling through Facebook yeah. who are into archery and following an archery company. Yeah. So my thought is is how do we create something on Facebook? Because it's likely that 90% of those people are hunters and that's the only reason they're following these yeah. bow companies. So yeah. how do you, how do you show something that, that the hunters watch and go, well, this isn't that far off from what I'm doing with my hunting bow. No. Uh, this is interesting. No. And I think, I think I listened to Tim Gillingham on the bow junkie podcast earlier this year. And he, I think he's knocking on the right idea, kind of. Um, you know, with the OPA kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, your orange dots that you guys are shooting over on, you know, the coast there. I think that's yeah. getting close to it because um, if you, let's say, if you can imagine shooting the OPA tournament, we have the 14 ring as the pink and the orange dot as your 12. Um, when those guys are shooting the shoot-offs, then if there's someone that can make really small or good breakable targets possibly where you can see from as a spectator as soon as Levi Morgan or whoever shoots that 14 and it was a pink dot and all of a sudden there's no pink dot anymore because he hit it and it's mm-hmm. it's a physical thing where people don't have to sit there and wait for a line call because I do think that's hurting the sport in some ways as well um, yeah as, as that time waiting for someone to make an arrow call. But if there was something that could be like a breakable thing where you shot that 14 and all of a sudden as a spectator sitting 70 odd yards away from a javelina or whatever it is, and boom, he shoots it and it's gone. And everybody in the crowd knows exactly that he's just hit that. That I think is another thing to, to start thinking about how, yeah. That could influence the sport. And I mean, for the camera, it makes it just as easy because it's like a slam dunk in basketball. As soon as that guy throws that ball in the hoop, it goes through, that's points, you know? Right, right. And well, and see, that's that's the catch-22 with all this. Where's there room for a whole new style of tournament, you know? Yeah. And I if think this is a- what we want to put on TV – or, or or YouTube and get and make it a spectator sport. You need a lot of money behind it too to to get good oh, guys coming out to shoot it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's I, it's something that's going to be slow initially, but it could take off and it could possibly, like I said before, then dominate the whole sport. This one sort of competition format. Yeah, I think. I think you're right on track with with something like our 3D stuff out here or or the OPA style. Um, I, I think that's the kind of thing that that a, a bow hunter will will watch that video on YouTube that says these guys are shooting off for thirty thousand dollars, and they're like, wait a minute, they're shooting these, you know, 3D animals. Um, at this OPA kind of shoot under 60 yards and this is the size of the dot they're hitting and, and it's like yeah that that looks really hard but I 
I stack a group with my hunting bow, you know, in, in, <laughs> right. in, in a three inch circle at, at 40 yards. I, I bet I could learn how to do this. And that sparks interest, you know, cause they're, they're, they're shooting into the 3d animals. They're seeing what they relate to. Um, I think they gotta, if they do something OPA style, I, I just say, let's throw out this, uh, whatever whoever's rule it is asa or whatever else this whole pull the line thing to eliminate 10 minutes of judges making a call or whatever it is throw some cameras on the Mm -hmm. targets and assume the score and move on to the next one and and you know post like that like they were doing the live scoring in vegas yeah i mean but again like for me, shooting the shootout in Vegas, it all seemed to go pretty quick and seamlessly. But mm-hmm. after getting back home and then watching the video, it's boring. <laughs> it's boring <laughs> sitting there, especially if, you know, you're supporting someone. Like, I know you guys would have been looking what I'm doing or how I'm doing. And you have to wait for their judges to go all the way down to my target and have all three look at each one's target and then make a call on it. Where... I do think that they could make it quicker, you know. If if one judge goes past it, he just he sees what it is, and then if there's any discrepancies, well, you know, that can be taken up before you pull your arrows. Um, yeah. But I mean, us as archers, I know there's a lot of money on the line. Even when I was shooting my last arrows in Vegas, I knew exactly what I did every single arrow I I shot it. Um, I'm the kind of person that I will not try and argue that it's in if it's not. I knew that I, I didn't shoot a good enough shot to, to try and freaking claim it. If I didn't shoot my best shot, why would I want to claim it? Fair enough, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right about, about it being kind of boring to watch. Um, and I, well, and you, I got to hand it to, to Bruce or whoever's decision it was. They did throw in commercials and stuff like that in yeah. between, which, you know, kept it interesting, except it, it started repeating the same commercials every time, you <laughs> yeah, know, it was good. a break. But yeah, but it was really cool. And it, it was really cool the way it was put together. And my thing is, I look at that and, and I, I, I watch. And I don't know if it's up or not to this day, but like watching the live thing or whatever, there was, it's like anything, world archery, everything out there. Whenever there's a video, I look over at the views and it's like never more than like 12, 1300 views. Mm. And I'm like, there's, there's 500,000 people following bow companies. Mm. There's gotta get, there's gotta be a way to get them to view this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they must be. They must yeah. be. And all it's going to take is just someone that's going to come up with the right idea and implementing yeah. it. Being at the right place at the right time kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if Let's see here. If you don't mind, I wanted to jump back a little bit because um, we kind of went through really quick during your <laughs> year here. And... Uh, <laughs> um, you brought up uh, kind of your first experience in the wind. What uh, what did you do in that moment when when the wind was taking your arrows? 
How did you respond to that? Because I know everybody's different. It seems like a lot of the 3D shooters out here who shoot in orange spots. A lot of guys, for me growing up, love to use their bubble to compensate for wind. Um, and other guys, there there's guys who aim off in other situations. What what exactly are you doing? Um, I'm too dumb to use the bubble. <laughs> I am too. So don't don't feel bad. I I thought that every time someone said just bubble off, I go I know I'm gonna bubble the wrong way and fuck that up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, for me, if I've tried it. I know how to do it. Um, I I don't know if it worked to my advantage though. I don't know if I want to try that at a competition and just do it. I probably will use it at some point in my life. But um, when the wind started throwing me off, because it was real funny. I'll, I'll have to explain it a bit better then. Because in, in Shanghai, you had your flag on top of the target, and you'll see it, for instance, blow left to right, your flag. Mm-hmm. But then where you are standing, the wind is actually blowing behind you. So you, you're you actually having two different winds that you can oh. sort of predict. So that was where it was tough. Because somewhere in the middle, there might be happening something totally different because you're shooting in a stadium. It might be in an equilibrium at the middle, but it might not be. It might be swirling a different way. So, for instance, if I started aiming and I could feel the wind blowing behind me and I could see my target go left and right, then I'll aim at 7 o'clock, for instance, and I'll have it in the middle of the 9 or, say, 9-8 line, and then I'll execute my shot. So I just keep aiming off the whole time because... You, I'm just going to make myself crazy with the wind changing that many times direction, trying to bubble it off this way or that way. And yeah. then, for me, in my mind, if you're going to bubble it, you're changing your grip position. I'd rather have the same grip position, same release, everything, and rather just aim off at a certain spot than trying to confuse myself the whole time and maybe even throw one terribly because I leaned my bow the wrong way because I read the went wrong or something like that so yeah for me most of the times in shanghai i had to aim on the nine eight line slash mid nine of the yellow to get the shot where i wanted it to go depending on where the wind was blowing and literally every single arrow the wind could be blowing differently that's how bad it was it was it wasn't it was a bit intense wow see i think the bubble thing comes into play for people who who don't want to aim off. They want to aim at the dot or they're trained to aim at the dot. Is that an issue? Is that like, is that yeah. hard to, cause you, 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 you spend your whole time practicing aiming at the middle. Is that something you do in training now to prepare yeah. for, for wind is just practice holding in the eight ring. I do. I just I just try and practice a bit of everything, even try and shoot at the lines or something. But in the end, again, that's where I come back to your equipment and making sure you've got the best equipment. And yeah. I'm shooting gold to uh, Pierce Tours. And I went and I sat down and I really thought about my arrow setup. Um, and I started exper- experimenting with it. And that's why I wanted to go and shoot in the wind. So I can test all these things. And at the end, I came up with an arrow that has a 150 grain point in it. And I'm shooting the AAE hybrid veins as far as I can in the back of the arrow. And it's the 1.87 uh, 
inch long wings. And um, so my point is obviously driving the arrow and the uh, fletchers are just steering it for whatever use that they might need. So I wanted to aim in the middle as much as I can without aiming off. And even though we had a little bit of wind in the Netherlands, but nothing too major, even if there was some extreme wind, I just needed mm -hmm. to aim at the line 10, say at three o'clock if I felt the wind coming from that direction and execute the shot. So I literally was still aiming at the 10 and still executing the shot and it, it would have landed exactly where I wanted it. So it's just making sure your equipment is forgiving enough so you can do those kind of things. Interesting. And, and I'm, I'm kind of asking this kind of stuff because I think there's so many guys that experience it, no matter what type of tournament they're shooting, and really are, are afraid that the way they're addressing it isn't the way the, the other pros do it or they believe that all pros you know, think you got to aim in the middle and only the middle. And it, it, I think I want people to know from someone like you that it, it's just everybody, it comes down to what works for them. Exactly. Um, I think you just got to go and find it, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's an easy way to do this. I think you just have to go and shoot a heck of a lot. If it's pissing down with rain, go and shoot in the rain and figure out what your bow is doing. If yeah. the wind is blowing, it doesn't seem like it'd be nice to go and shoot. You probably won't shoot a person or best. Uh, don't look at it that way. Just go and shoot it to go and see what your stuff is actually reacting to. Make sure that all your equipment is shooting the way it's supposed to do. Um, uh, it's not just not just about putting veins on an arrow. It's making a choice. What sort of veins am I going to put on my arrow? Am I am I choosing the right length of vein? Why is there a difference between a 1.8 inch vein and a 2.2 or a 2 inch vein? What is that going to do versus my point weight? Um, you can ask someone like Tim, who's you know pretty incredible with how he understands an arrow. He, I know that guy can you know shoot an arrow backwards and still you know put it exactly where it needs to go because he just understands so much of the arrows. But you can talk to those guys. They can give you as much information as they humanly can do, but it still is up to you to go and find your unique setup and find out exactly what it's going to do for you. Yeah. And, and see, this sport is – there's so much involved with archery too. I think it's also important to say that there, there's also a cap on experimentation and in trying new things because there's so many guys. I, I would say the best way to put it is if, if you're not landing, let's say, in the top 10% of competitors, you need to step back and not fuck with your fletching and your, um, you know, and, and micro tunes here and there and little adjustments on your release you need to focus back on the bare essentials and, and lock something down that you can do consistent every time yeah before you make that switch 90 percent, it's you behind the bow that's you right know, it comes all up to the person shooting the bow um i do agree with you so much like i have now found a couple of things like my indoor setup for instance just arrows. I know what sort of weight I prefer in the front of my arrow. 
that it's going to perform to where it needs to perform. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty confident I'll take exactly the same arrows that I took to Vegas this year. I'll take, you know, to next year's Vegas because yeah. they still shoot consistently good. I do think I have found their perfect um, way of building them. Um, I it's the same thing with my you know 23 arrows that bolted 9.3s um i know exactly what they want and same with my outdoor yeah. arrows i know exactly what they want now um yeah there might be minor tweaking in the future but it's going to be a heck of a lot easier setting up in the next few years a bow that i know these arrows are made to a certain you know standard my standard um that i'm yeah. happy with um and if you want to be shooting in that top 10% of archers in the world, it's possible that you have to, you can ask as many questions as you want, but it is possible that you will need to go and find it out for yourself as well. And I'm not disencouraging people to not go and ask, you know, the people like Tim Gillingham and those sort of guys, but um, you, you have to ask them what they think and what their opinions is. In my humble opinion, don't go and cut your whole dozen arrows to the way he suggested you should. Maybe cut, you know, four of them that length um, and put, you know, the weight that he maybe prescribed to him. But also make up another four with maybe 10 grains more in the point and make it an inch longer or something like that. I don't know. Use some creativity there and go and test that out as well until you find the same one now i know sometimes the arrows are getting expensive and it might sound like you're going to waste four arrows but if you want to be in the top 10 percent, that's just what you've got to go and do yeah yeah i mean that's that's what the top 10 percent is right now it's it's literally differences in score that you can honestly say some of these guys some of the differences may be when when someone said oh um I looked at my bow afterwards and, and the timing was just a touch off from what it was, you know, at the beginning of the day, I don't know how mm -hmm. it happened, but it happened. And you can, you look at it when a guy like Braden Gallantine says that you're going to say, Oh yeah, that, that very well could have cost him that one point, yeah. you know, yeah, but when a guy, nice. Joe Schmo, who's been shooting archery for a minute and, buys everything every year and changes his bow every five minutes, you're going to say, Hey man, start practicing more and kind of lock something down. Just, you know, yeah. feel everything. Like I, I, I would think that you can relate to this too. Don't you like if uh, here's a good, good way to gauge this for people. If you started visualizing your shot right now, you were shooting at a target. Can you not feel everything all the way down to the release going off mm. exactly the way it feels when you shoot? Do do you feel that just just when you close your eyes and try to visualize a shot? Yeah, yeah, that that's that's very true. Although you know there is great stuff coming out of the market. There's also a lot of crap coming out of the market as well that you've got to be careful of buying just because they got their marketing right. Yeah. I mean, 
<clears throat> stabilizers for me is one of those things you know i i'm mm -hmm. so over the moon with the choice of stabilizers that i have um because i know there's no way that anything could be better um i've tried a lot of the other stuff and i'm extremely happy with it you know it's it's doing exactly what i want at the moment and yeah if it's working why change it um you know and i feel the that brian and adam and Darren is, you know, they're, they're doing an amazing product. And I know it's not available everywhere, but, I mean, that's that's kind of what they designed to do. You know, they, they want to make sure that whoever's going to shoot them, you know, uses them to that, you know, ability. <laughs> they just yeah. they are something else. They they definitely are. But how yeah, many other stabilizer brands are on the market that, I mean, I could – look on instagram and facebook although i haven't shot them yet i can tell that it's it's just not quite the same quality because you can't see what's actually in the stabilizer you don't know you know is it just a piece of carbon uh, or has there just been someone turning it on a lathe and just putting two ends on a piece of uh, carbon fiber and selling it for you know 190 odd dollars or whatever yeah exactly yeah, it's it's definitely out there in the industry too. That's that's where you you have to go back to to trusting some of their those pros and trusting their opinion and and, and what advice yeah. they give you on that. Yeah, it's the same with arrows. It's it, we we mm -hmm. are seeing the market being pretty much flooded with um, Chinese arrows that's coming out of there, and when you look at them you can't see a difference and for the average joe that's just he just wants to buy himself some cheap arrows he doesn't realize that you know that arrow that he's putting in his bow could be potentially his last arrow he'll ever shoot <laughs> because that thing <laughs> might explode midway but to the naked eye there's no difference but go uh, and ask a pro not that he's sponsored by that certain company but there's a reason that he wants to be sponsored by that certain company yeah yeah i i would definitely say you you got to believe in what what you want to be sponsored by and what you want to use for sure yeah um yeah no, definitely uh i also i wanted to ask you something else you brought up earlier um you kind of mentioned it for a second i can't remember where you said it happened but you mentioned uh on a target or something like that you start started over aiming what mm. what what exactly for you is over aiming because that's something i think a lot of people struggle with i've i struggle with it indoors i'm i know what you mean by it but um for you is that uh is that changing the 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 time it takes for your shot to go off or is it just not focusing the way you normally focus when you shoot um that's a whole domino effect so when i say i'm over aiming or you know trying not to over aim it's me pulling up the bow and for some reason you see this time and time again you see people warming up if you know a couple of practice ends in vegas or whatever and they will shoot the middle out of the eggs because it's a practice round and they're just trying to get the flow going and all of a sudden when the big voice over the loudspeaker says this is your first scoring end 
all of a sudden people go, right, now it's business time. I've got to focus. I've got to put this dot in the middle and I've got to execute it. As soon as they start doing that, they're putting the dot in the middle. They're focusing on having that dot exactly in the middle. And this is maybe taking a couple of seconds longer to execute. Now he's going through the process again, how he's going to execute his release. That could take another second or two that he's got to think about what he's actually doing. And by the end of it, he's, his muscles are not used to getting that perfect arrow off. And what used to be eight seconds is now 14 seconds. And boom, he gets it away and it's out of the team or it's, you know, anywhere does, that he doesn't want it. It's about changing everything that you're used to doing and then all of a sudden failing at it. Um, that's kind of what I mean by over-aiming. So it is definitely yeah. a dominant effect, in my opinion. It, it seems like there's a there's a lot of mental management towards keeping that in check. Is that uh, how, how exactly did you, you know, figure out how to overcome that? Because it's so easy for that to happen at, at the starter pistol of any tournament, you know? Yeah, it's definitely I, – I did get some some help from um, someone in New Zealand here who like, sort of helped me get over that barrier, um, sort of trying to, to process my thoughts better. Um, it gets that discussion gets quite intense. I, you and me have discussed that in private, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. before. Um, and if you're quite keen to know more about it, if you're listening to this, and you're quite keen to uh, find out what it is exactly that we did in that exercise. Um, I'm more than happy to share the information with people if they message me privately, but it, it ended up costing me a bit of money where I had to go and see someone, you know, obviously a psychologist and talk to them about what I wanted out of this event, what is my ultimate aims, and they sort of helped me and their profession uh, work this out so I can, you know, perform on the day. Um, again, it is to help you take away the pressure on the day of Vegas. You know, it's a quite daunting competition. So it was just tools that I started to use before I went to Vegas. And it really did help. I'm using it still to this day. Um, but people need to realize that when you're doing this sort of stuff, what we said about before, it's that 10%. It's where the top guys are is go and figure out what it is that you can do to continuously improve your game. Um, and don't just go to any psychologist, research it a bit, make sure you're actually seeing the right professional for what you're going to do. Um, it's not just a run of the mill sort of um, psychologist that you need to go and see. It needs to be someone that knows what you are going to do with the sport. And with archery, it is that kind of sport that doesn't allow for any mistakes. So it's, you have to make sure that the physician that you're going to see is going to understand that archery is a different sport to what they've previously teached. Like I did go and see other people or talk to other people about it um, sports mm -hmm. psychologist and that that works with rugby guys um, and they didn't really understand what I was trying to do because when you're playing a game like football or rugby or stuff like that 
it's okay for someone to fumble the ball, but the team can still get their um, expectations with winning the game. But in archery, I'm not allowed to fumble the ball. <laughs> I yeah. have to make sure that I'm going to carry my game 100% from start to finish. Yes, that's that's what's kind of uh, amazing about the sport right now. I remember very early on um, being told by – God, I – I want to say it was Dave Cousins because um, he, he used to do some seminars and stuff out uh, out in Fresno occasionally and everywhere else he would travel and do his seminars. And one of the things he said was um, at that time, what made a pro archer wasn't necessarily how good you can shoot. It was how effective you can recover from a bad shot. Mm. and continue on with a strong game after not making the best shot in the world. It, it's right. almost it, now it's almost like you, you don't get, you don't, you don't get to recover. Like you, you, you can't make the bad shot. You might be out of it altogether if you make the bad shot. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I was saying before with the world cup stuff. It was okay five years ago to not have a perfect round and still win a championship. But now you have to shoot perfect. There is, there is no room for error when the weather is maybe off and the wind is blowing with that sort of stuff. Yes. You can allow yourself to make a couple of mistakes or get wind drift or whatever, but it still needs to be at a minimum, you know, and that's what's separating the sport at the moment. And it's, I mean, it's great in some ways, but it is terribly hard for people to always understand that because they see us and they think, oh, it's easy, you know. Um, I mean, you've known me for a few years now. You know the sort of work that I've put in to get to where I am at the moment. But the ordinary guy don't understand that. He just thinks, you know, this is a guy, he burst onto the scene of Vegas and he just shot well. Um, but they don't know how many hours and hours you spend behind the bow sacrificing whatever it is that you sacrifice to get to that point that you, like I said, did you go and see a sports physician or whatever? What was the tools you put in place to get to that, That you know, what was it, an hour of your life? <laughs> right. Yeah, man. It... <laughs> wow. I I gotta say we I think we just we we just put a lot of really good information out there. Um, <laughs> I and I I hope you don't think uh, that I was with that last question that I was coaxing information out of you that you don't want to <laughs> give out because that's not at all what I was trying to do. No um, no 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 not at all. <laughs> and that's, I, I'm quite open to share the information. But... Yeah yeah. I'd I'd rather do it on a personal level rather than, um, you know, throwing stuff out there because I do think it can get dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To give you an example, uh, I I probably need to explain myself in that sense as well. Um, If I give everyone the information and they go and do it, it might not work for them because they might not be bow fit. 
they mm-hmm. might not their bow might not be properly tuned their trigger might not be properly set up for them there's so many things that needs to be right before you actually start working on your head game for me yeah. like she called me before i had to go to netherlands for instance and she wanted to know if i wanted to catch up and completely honest i said no i don't because i to that stage before i went to the netherlands i did not know what i actually want to tell myself um what sort of tools do i mentally need to get me to the finish line because i've never i i haven't shot those tournaments enough to know exactly what it is that i need to do um so for me i just saw it as pointless because i don't know what to say to them but now i've got a bit of a better understanding to know myself better in the competition to go with the right sort of problems to them and say, all right, this is what I need fixed. Help me. You know, it's like, it's like taking your car for a drive and thinking, oh, I wonder what it is that's going wrong here. And it might just be, you know, one of your tires are flat or it might be that there's serious problem with one of your brakes or whatever it might be. But if you go mm-hmm. to them and you say, here's my car, fix it, and you've checked all those things, the outlining factors, like the stuff that you can do at home, checking your tire pressure, all that sort of stuff, then they can go, okay, let's look at the engine, the brain of the car or the heart of the car, and let's fix that. Um, yeah. But you as an archer need to make sure that everything is right and that you're doing everything to the best of your ability and then you go to someone like that that's a professional in their area to help you work on the thing that you can't work on. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think that goes back to, to what we were saying about getting yourself to that top 10% before you really start focusing on all these, these micro adjustments to make in, in your mm-hmm. shooting. And I mean, the top 10% is, it is attainable. Um, and it, and that, that, that can apply to however you want to apply that to a local level. You know, it, it, I'd say that's the best place to start. If, if you're not in the top Mm. 10% at your local fun shoots that don't really mean anything, then, then you've got the bare basics to work on and try to master before you make that next jump to real to learn how to you know how to how to do all like four different types of arrow tuning you know but if you're not at that place you know go shoot it through some paper and make sure you're you're shooting good groups at distance and and shoot yeah you know totally and you know there's so much information out there these days um on youtube or social media and honestly, I can say there's only a number of people that I can really say I'll trust their opinion. But there's so many guys that just throw their opinion on on YouTube or Facebook or whatever because yeah. they, they think they they might have cracked this thing of archery. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think the top pros have really cracked it just yet. Um, they, they're very close, but I think it's still we're still learning every time we're shooting i mean i haven't heard a pro say i've been shooting the same arrow formula for the last 10 years i haven't heard that yet 
they change things every single time and it's not because of arrows that keep coming out and that's a different spine or a different model um there is still stuff that we are learning from arrows yeah you 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 really have to be careful with all the videos out there that's the good and bad for a new archer is yeah. there's so much content out there and there is a lot of good content i would implore anybody do your research on who's putting the content out there if oh, you're sorry. if you're taking a, a video from tim gillingham you're probably going to get something good out of it a video from brain galantine you know from a lot of these top guys out there it's going to be solid knowledge but if you've never heard of the person Maybe take a step back for a second or take it with a grain mm. of salt. And and even the videos from the top pros ranked in the world, you got to remember that's what works for them. It's yeah. not necessarily, and I don't think any of them would ever give the message that this is the way everybody should do it. I think usually no. those videos are always, this is what works the best for me. Yeah, like a, the best example of that is um gc broadwater one of the best archers um in the world if you put him and tim gillingham in a room and they start talking about their arrow setup i will put money on the table that tim would probably disagree with the arrow setup that jesse is shooting at that point in time mm -hmm. but it's working for jesse you know it's, yeah. it's just what it is um they won't probably agree to it but it's just what it is that arrow Arrow setup works for GC. I know GC likes a, a weaker spine arrow, uh, where Tim prefers a stiffer arrow. And I can, from my personal experience, I can kind of see both ways. I understand what that actually means, and I know they do too. But for that certain shooter, like someone like Tim, that's a freaking giant. I know why he, why he would prefer a stiffer arrow because in his experience stiffer arrows for the ordinary joe just usually shoots better but there is a danger in shooting a weak arrow for someone that's just starting out or just understanding the stuff um i can bet you jesse just didn't buy a dozen of arrows and hope he's going to be lucky and set it up and it just worked for him there would have been dozens of arrows that he experimented until he found his magic formula right well while uh while we're talking set up and arrows and everything else here and um on the path to start wrapping this thing up too i definitely want to let you get back to your family after a <laughs> long day of work um i i just have a few more things to ask you here one uh, what what is your setup because i i find um from some of the feedback i've been getting from people they are very interested in um you know a quick top to bottom what are you shooting right so we'll do we'll do indoor we'll start there yeah um, at the moment i'm shooting the botech reckoning um i'm shooting it at about 56 pounds for my indoor setup um i'm shooting the gold tip 9.3s at the moment which is the 23 diameter arrow um and that's loaded with 300 grain points in the tip um and that is cut at 28 and a, 28 and a quarter inches um and i'm using the built mini hd pin knocks as well with a four inch aae hybrid 
veins. Okay. And if you, I don't know if you saw my arrows in Vegas, but um, Adam would probably still get nightmares about them. But those things have helical like you wouldn't believe. Like yeah, him, <laughs> him and Adam commented as soon as they saw them and they they threw some dirt my way and said there's no way those things don't make contact. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Did, but they, they did you ever debunk that or do you just not even care? <laughs> I know I know what sort of contact they make. Um, I've powder tested them. Um, I, I'm okay. shooting a blade rest. I'm shooting a ripcord uh, blade uh, rest, uh, the X Factor. And um, I'm shooting, believe it or not, it's, this sounds crazy, but I'm shooting a .08 blade on that rest. So with that heavy arrow, there's a really? ton of flex. Yeah, there's a ton of flex in that blade. But I can tell you that I've tested stiffer blades, and they were not as forgiving as the .08. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Wow. Does, so do you have issues with – do you break a blade once a year? I, I can or do you just replace it every year? I can put my hand on the Bible and I can tell you I've never broken a blade on my wrist. Wow. I have broken one blade, but it wasn't me. It was my dogs that broke <laughs> the blade on my bow before I left for Vegas. If yeah. people go out, out my social media, the, the bow I shot at Vegas was actually in a three-way fight between my three uh, between my two Jack Russells the day before I left for Vegas. And that was the only blade that I've ever broke on a bow. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. See, now now you got me uh, wanting to try that out. Because I've just, I've just always been afraid of the way, how much it moves as soon as I set the arrow on it. You know? I've, and it, it's, it's really hard to pull back, I can tell you that. Oh, it bounces, right? Oh yeah, like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. I've cracked it and it's working. That's exactly the same as what I did in Vegas as well. I shot the point zero eight, and when I started setting up my indoor bow for this upcoming season a few weeks ago, I thought I've got a point one two blade here. I'll throw that on, and I'll see how it does, just to make sure that it that it does work well, and. The arrows downrange was definitely more jumpy. If I made a mistake, it transferred through the arrow pretty quickly. But I feel that when the blade wasn't at that stiff, it possibly could have taken some of that shock away from the arrow, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I, that's, that's some really interesting information. And that's, that's something that anybody listening to this can just test out coming into indoor season. It's a yeah. very simple thing to, to try out, and you'll notice the difference or you won't. That's pretty yeah. cool. I like so that. I'm shooting, What's... That's my rest and my arrows and my bow, and then mm -hmm. I'm shooting the black gold uh, competition site, the new one. Um, I really like them. I, I do think they're great sites. The way they're adjusted is just pretty good for anyone that does field archery and that it's pretty pretty easy to to adjust them um mm -hmm. they had some problems before but this new one i think um phil and the, the team at black all have really hit it out of the park with this one it's a really good setup and um, i'm also shooting a shrewd optum scope setup on that as well 
and I find that really, really good, especially if you're going to use a light. It's um, it's really easy to put one of those uh, lights on them and get a really, really good glowing dot or even a, a good glowing pin. Um, yeah. And, and then for strings, I'm using the uh, threads, bow strings. I really like these strings. Super, super, super consistent. You're not going to go wrong if you ever buy one of those. Um, and... Um, the stabilizer i'm shooting the carbon craft stabilizers the x-rated bars uh that brian and yeah yeah uh, darren and the boys make adam adams and darren's company and um i'm absolutely loving them i've loved them since day one i got sent a prototype about two and a half years ago now already can't believe how time flies but um wow. i got giving my x-rated bars at vegas a year ago and I pretty much, as soon as I put them on the bow, I fell in love with the way they reacted. So um, that was amazing. Yeah, and, I started um, actually helping them. Um, I, I I started helping build them. Well, I, I learned the process uh, right. because I wasn't expecting to be out of town for work. So <laughs> I was going to help kind of fill some orders and help them keep up with it. And then like the day after, I had to start working out of town. Oh, um, but man, it, it's incredible. Um, and it, there, there's some cool stuff coming up in the future too. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I still have to send my address to Adam because he, you know, <laughs> we still go. We were talking, and he said he's got something special for me. But I um, haven't quite got quite to that stage. It's been been a little bit busy, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure he sends me whatever it is that he's got up his sleeve. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so um, I'm optics-wise, I'm using the Vortex stuff. I really like their optics. Um, okay. And yeah, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. So what's um, what differs indoor and outdoor? I can't imagine it changes a whole lot. Probably just no. Me. Yeah, so definitely drawing weight goes up a little bit to about 57, 58 pounds in draw weight. Um, arrows, I'm shooting the gold tip uh, platinum pierced tours. Um, they are loaded with 150 grains with a 1.88 inch hybrid vein on the back. Um, same mini HD pin knocks and same blade setup, funny enough. Um, 0 0.8 I'm still sticking with that but obviously shooting that outdoors is a lot easier pulling back and that sort of stuff because um, the arrow is a bit lighter than your indoor arrow hmm. but yeah using the same bow the Bowtech Reckoning for okay. that as well yeah. yeah so full commitment with the Reckoning now right dude it's, it's, I told you guys on the phone the other day it's not, not like I'm trying yeah. to plug that product at all it might sound like it, but when I look at that, that bow was launched in Vegas this year, and I saw the bow and I thought, it looks good. I really like that they brought the binary cam system back. I, I was a huge fan of the binary cam system from the start. Um, I really like the overdrive binary cam system and the way you can tune it. Um, there's quite nothing like that that you can tune out on the market, and then... Botex sent me one just before I left to go to Shanghai and I actually took one of my reckonings to Shanghai because the bow was all after a week in my hands it already started shooting better than the Fanatic 
but I wasn't sure how it's going to handle competition tension and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up yeah. still shooting with my Fnatic. Um, and I, I came back and I sort of decided I'm fully commit to that bow and just spend all my time that I have with them. And I set two of them up to go to the World Cup. And I was shooting amazingly with those bows. So much so that I... I, let me put it this way. I wouldn't have taken that boat to Netherlands if I knew my fanatic would have outperformed it. Boutique wow. didn't ask me, the Boutique didn't ask me to, to shoot the Reckoning at all. They just sent it to me to, to enjoy it. Um, I could shoot any boat that I wanted to. And um, I still decided to go with the Reckoning instead because it was definitely outperforming the fanatic. Because once you have it in time and you set your timing up, you can... Because it's it works on a movable uh, cable stop, so it's in a slide. It's not a fixed position where you have to screw your stop in every time. It actually slides. So as soon as I had my draw length pretty much set up, I started playing with holding weight, and I figured that I was shooting that bow the best at about 14.5 to 15 pounds holding weight, and I put my stops to wherever I got that on the scales. And as soon as I had that, I played around with a little bit of D-loop length. Now, that might mean you're going to make it longer by a sixteenth of an inch, maybe, to achieve the same draw length as what you would have before on the factory setting. And I just started shooting beautifully. And funny enough, that bow has been shooting, I don't know, probably 1,200 shots a week. And I, after two months of having it set up, I checked it the other day and everything was perfectly still in time. Everything was just 100%. Wow. Yeah. That, that's so, impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with it. I, I, I have to admit, I didn't think I was going to be this impressed by that bow. I, I, was, I was a little bit negative, to say the least, when that bow was launched. I kind of felt like because i'm a bigger guy i really wanted them to launch a bigger bow and um this bow makes up for it it really does i recommend it to anyone that wants to try it out yeah i mean i remember i remember talking with you before you had got one in your hands and you just kind of saw what it was and seemed a little confused about it and had some questions and when we talked to you the other day i I, I, the, my first thought was, I think I need to shoot one of these things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know, I know Brock, Brock picked one up. You remember Brock that was in Vegas with us. Uh -huh. he, um, he picked one up and whatever I can gather from him, he's still enjoying it a lot as well. Shit. Yeah. But Brock's got like 40 bows. I'm pretty sure he shoots a new bow every tournament too. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> so much. maybe, hey, maybe he'll commit. Maybe he'll marry one bow. That'd be impressive. <laughs> you never know. They might start having kids. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, as long as there's not too much slapping going on. Yeah. <laughs> For any... <laughs> For anyone who missed that video, just just recap to Vegas this year and Facebook and look for the slap heard across the world. <laughs> I I am still amazed that I missed all of that, and I was literally ten feet away sleeping, and I missed all of that. 
I, I'm just happy that, that we were quiet enough to not you know, wake you up and piss you off or anything. <laughs> nah, 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 not at all. I think I think Adam is still laughing at me talking Afrikaans to him that one morning when I woke up. I just started talking Afrikaans to him. I hope his Afrikaans is getting better, yeah. by the way. <laughs> I doubt he's been practicing, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be pretty I'll be pretty disappointed. <laughs> yeah, that that was so much fun. And, and Brock is hilarious, man. Because oh. Brock is like he he's like a monster with a baby face. He's just <laughs> the nicest person in the world. And he cracked me up so much when when he pulled out his his brand new <laughs> UltraView site to show me and slid the battery cover off when I asked where the battery is and just snapped it in half. And then he, did, he goes, oh, man, that's fucked up. And then he looks at the other side. He slid the other side off, and it snapped. <laughs> it was the funniest moment of my It was either that. Were you in the room when we had the hot sauce? No. What was oh. the hot sauce? I don't. Uh, no one recorded it, but um, oh, no. we had some. We had some hot sauce in the room, and um, I, I can't remember. It was me and Adam, and I think we bid him and Kevin to have like a tablespoon of it, right? Okay. So I knew I had some. Brock had some. Kevin <laughs> had some, and Adam had some, but. <laughs> That's because I can eat hot stuff. Like Adam saw that night when we went out, we can eat hot stuff. And uh-huh. um, oh yeah, that that happened on the final night. That's right. That's that's why. And um, after after Vegas, the shootout and everything, we went to town and we had some sushi and there was some hot stuff and Adam couldn't eat it. And I just I was pretty hungry as well, but I just ended up putting all the stuff in my mouth and eating it and it honestly wasn't that hot and he was like going nuts over it and when we got to the room he goes like all right now you're going to try this stuff and um that's when um i think me and adam both bit kevin and brock to have some as well and (laughs) kevin was just about dying brock was about throwing up and Adam, (laughs) adam was trying anything he could to see if he can stop the pain I was just hoping for my dear life that that stuff was not going to explode out of me while I'm on the plane back to New Zealand. Oh, God. I was worried about. (laughs) But that that show was pretty funny, man. Because, you know, he's not the most quietest person in the world. He is freaking loud. That's why his name's Frick, man. (laughs) Frick is freaking loud. (laughs) <laughs> He's freaking loud, all right? But awesome, guys. It was, it was such an awesome trip, you know. Yeah, to have yeah. everyone there was just absolutely amazing. I, I'm really looking forward to Vegas coming up. Not not for the event, but... Yeah. We, are, we almost need, like, when it's well, all so of... It, it's it's going to be even better. Oh, you there? Oh, yep, yep. Cut out oh, just a sorry, little bit. Yeah. yeah, no problem. Um, so, yeah, my wife is going to come this year to Vegas as well, so I'm ex- especially looking forward to um, letting her meet all of you guys. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, 
we almost need like for maybe Vegas, we need to make it like tradition to take take a couple extra days after the shoot just to all hang yeah. out. Well, I'm talking with Adam and Darren and those guys at the moment, but we are definitely thinking of coming in early this year. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm probably going to fly into Fresno um, on the Friday, the week before Vegas. Oh, perfect. Yeah, okay. so that could be quite fun. Oh, if that, yeah, if that's what's happening, uh, we're, we're carpooling or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out closer to the time for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, real quick here, um, I I just wanted to ask you with everything that you've discussed, you you have you have a lot of stuff in your brain on on how you like your bow set up and the measurements you know you like. Are you journaling every day when you shoot? Do you do you keep a journal of practice and all of your setups? I used to do a pretty much a journal every day um, mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago but i started getting to the point where everything was exactly the same every single day um again okay. it's finding all those little differences until there's uh, i won't say there's nothing to find anymore because it still will you still will find everything as you go along but now i tend to do a journal every time that i change something i'll write it down and right. um yeah I'll just go from that. But um, yeah, you definitely get to a point where everything is just pretty much the same. And you, all you got to do is just focus more on how much pressure and stuff you put on your shot and making sure that you anchor at the right place and, 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 and um, then actually making sure you keep a journal of all your measurements. Cause once you have it done once, then it's done. Like for me, it's always been hard trying to copy a setup to another bow. So if you have exactly the same model of bow, trying to copy what works on the one model exactly to the same make and model to the other one and trying to get the same result, that was always tricky for me. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. why, but for some reason, these two reckonings that I have at the moment are just very, very similar to each other in every single way. Like I'm confident to take any one of the two and shoot the same score. Okay. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but hey, definitely, I mean, I'm keeping score every day. If I'm shooting, I'm keeping score every single time. As soon as I get an arrow downfield, if I, I, I do have like four practice ends, and as soon as that's over, I start scoring myself, even on a bad day. Yeah. And I think that's another one of those things that it... it it's so different for everybody because I think for you, for your mental game, you scoring yourself works for you. Um, and there's other people who, who hardly ever score themselves, you know, and shoot incredibly too. And and they feel like it, it, it's not the right or wrong answer, whether scoring yourself in practice is the thing to do or isn't for people. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's what it does to your head when yeah, when it comes time to apply that to tournaments. Right, and it goes back to what we said in the, in the start, is if I didn't score myself every day, I wouldn't have picked up when I needed to pick up that my fourth day is actually my best day of shooting, or my third yeah. day is my worst, or whatever. Uh, when you start consistently doing stuff like that, and you put it all in a graph, 
then you can actually see where you're actually dropping off. And I find it really helpful with, you know, people that I coach or train to tell them this sort of information and say, well, I can see that you had a day off and then you had, you know, a bit of a fall after you come back and then you come back up again. So then when they start preparing for competitions and they ask me how, how to prep for a certain thing, then I can say to them according to what they've recorded in their scorebook or whatever, that they need to stop shooting on the Monday, Tuesday, fly over the Wednesday, say, and start shooting on the Thursday or whatever it might be. Uh, however they might train. Um, for them to get the best result possible. Okay. Um, now, we've talked about this a lot before too. Your, your most of your practice, uh, or half of your practice every day, is starting sometime between three and four a.m. in the morning, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. So yeah. when when you're doing that, are are you feeling a difference between a, a, that and a tournament that starts at 10 a.m. Oh, do you yeah. feel the, the differences in your body? How do you how do you adjust to that? Because I think the most relatable thing that would be for people is people you know practice after work every day and they show up and they have to do a starting line in Vegas at 7:30 or they show up to a tournament that starts at eight and they've never shot that early before right that's a really good thing to bring up actually because i i mean i do like sleep just as much as the next guy does so <laughs> um although i don't sleep as much as some people do but um if i get up i usually my alarm goes off at the moment it goes off about 3 30 a.m in the morning then i try and wake myself up enough so i can go and make myself a coffee and mm -hmm. get dressed and get downstairs. So that usually takes about 20 minutes to get myself pretty much going. Um, then I sort of start shooting at about, say, 5 to 14 to 4. Any time between that's when I start getting my practice rounds away. Your body is not really awake yet. You've just stumbled out mm -hmm. of bed. Your muscles are still actually real cold. So for me, I think, in my own experience, I find that is the hardest time to shoot in any way. So if there's ever a time that's going to be hard, it's going to be pretty much just as you stumble out of bed and go and shoot. Um, and that sort of, but not really, <laughs> but it, I'd say 50% mimics the way you're going to shoot at a big tournament like Vegas. It's going to be just as hard for your body to actually perform as good as it can um in vegas because all of a sudden you're shooting in front of people and you know everything is a little bit changed like oh, i remember wow. saying to i remember saying to someone this year that um oh they asked me how was it to you know shoot the 900 and i said you wouldn't believe the amount of pressure that goes through your body and it literally feels like you're shooting with someone else's arms and they laughed at me but it's true <laughs> It literally feels like you're trying to shoot with someone else's arms, and that's how I feel like when I'm shooting at 4 o'clock in the morning as well. I haven't woken up yet. And the other important part that I'll bring up as well, like I'm starting to hit a, a point at the moment where I'm going to travel to Australia next weekend to go and shoot their indoor nationals. So uh -huh. this week I started amping up my training, so it means I'm shooting in the morning. I'm going home after six o'clock at night usually. Then we try 
trying to get to the bait. Oops, sorry, are you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you there? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, sorry. So then I try and um, put the kids to bed before 7 p.m. And as soon as they go to bed, I try and go and shoot because that just gives me the quantity, like you were talking before about fitness. So it might not mean that I'm shooting to the best of my capabilities, but I'm just getting the quantity in at the moment and still rolling everything over. Um, but you also have to remember, if you're going to have a bad day at work emotionally or something pissed you off or stress got a little bit too much, I can guarantee you're not going to shoot to your best of abilities when you're trying to shoot a personal best or something on a target bail. So you've got to accept that sort of stuff. That's daily life challenge. So for me, going to a tournament like Vegas is actually, although it is stressful competing, it's actually quite nice as well because I don't have the day-to-day -day stress that I have at work or a potential project that's, that needs to be finished or you know, family that needs to be put into bed at a certain time or whatever. So mm. that part of it is made easier during a big tournament like that, but then you have the tournament stress. And I think they equal each other out in the long run. Yeah. Well, it, God, man, it's genius when you start to think about it too, that, that shooting early in the morning like that. And I know it's not by design. It's, it's the time that you're allotted and you told yourself, yeah. well, I'm not going to settle for for one hour at at you know 7 p.m. after my kids go to bed. I'm going to get another two hours in in the morning or whatever. Great. So, but I know exactly what you're saying, and I never put two and two together. That feeling in your body when you have no energy in the morning is very very similar to that feeling when. Yeah all the nerves are settling in and, and you're, you're just like, why, you know, why, why is everything not engaging and tightening up? Mm -hmm. Why is my back not mm -hmm. engaging? Why is the shot not feel right? Because the mm -hmm. nerves are taking over in your body. Correct. So you're literally training, you know, you're training to make yourself the best yeah. in the, in the hardest situation. Yeah. And like I did say before that, you know, you have mental stress during the day, you know, all that sort of stuff that could be on your uh, on your mind. Go and shoot your bow. One, it will relax you. So you, you'll walk a better person out of the archery range than you were walking in. Although your score not, might not be, but that sort of stuff might actually help you when you're shooting a big competition as well because you'll be able to process things just easier. You're, you're just going to be used to doing stuff differently. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, I wish I can shoot to the best of my capabilities and have the perfect day every single day when I'm shooting my bow, but it is just physically impossible. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just not, not going to happen. It doesn't no. happen for anybody. <laughs> no, no way. Wow, man. Well, I, I got to stay from the last time I said it like 30 minutes ago, we've gotten even more really great information and knowledge out there. And I, I appreciate the hell out of it. Um, uh, kind of to wrap this up, I was going to ask you, and I think, I think another, at another point, I think you and I should do a whole separate podcast about this, um, about hunting, but I oh. was just curious <laughs> 
is your is your hunting on the back burner this year or are you gonna go chase some game a little bit what what do you got going on man the plan was to go and chase deer in april that didn't happen because it was too much archery every single weekend was pretty much archery archery and again i didn't have time off work that i can go and chase anything so yeah no it's been definitely on the back burner i i'm ashamed to say that i don't even have a hunting set up at the moment i haven't I, I've been too busy with other shit that I haven't even set up a hunting set up yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in myself for that, but <laughs> I, I sort of got <laughs> a leniency in that as well. But I, I have something planned for the start of August. If, if, if all the moons aligned and um, if I can get my visa passed by my wife, then it'd be fine. Then I might be able to go and hunt because my freezer is dead empty. I don't have any venison in that thing at the moment, and I desperately need some. Yeah, me too, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm in the same exact situation. Don't be too ashamed. <laughs> I haven't set up a hunting bow yet either, and I apparently have a podcast about hunting and archery, and I don't even have a hunting <laughs> bow set up. So, <laughs> um, But... I, you know, I've been focusing a lot on the fitness side of it lately and just really getting into, you know, the working out and doing some cardio stuff with my hunting partner, Chris, and really been focusing on that stuff. Um, But, but yeah, man, um, I think, I think we'll have to make it a whole separate podcast sometime. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be keen to do one. Um, Cool. I'll be... As soon, as soon, maybe as I have this hunting. It's um, doing one at some point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sounds like you just transferred to your car or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> some, something's happened now. Let me just try it out. See if I can change this freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> Bluetooth is not my strong point. No, it's okay. It's uh, text, not mine. Um, I'm trying to make it that, but it's 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 tough and it's time consuming to figure all this crap out. <laughs> yeah, Scott doesn't really give you the option to. Oh, here we go. Okay, give me a second. <laughs> all right, but, uh, there we go. There it Back is. On board. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm you know, ever since the first time I talked to you, I've been very um, fascinated with everything going on in New Zealand as far as the hunting goes. So we definitely have to sit down sometime and talk about it. And hopefully you'll have a, another successful hunt under your belt at that point that we can chat about. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just the hunt that I'm, I'm going on might be one of those hunts where I won't even get anything because it's again it's in New Zealand and it's totally free um, we don't have to have any tags or anything so it's yeah it's completely up to chance and being in the right place at the right time so I'll be hopeful to get something but mm-hmm. otherwise yeah I'll just shoot anything that I can uh, just to bring my meat home for a start and uh, yeah. focus on a trophy later yeah that's a good way to do it man yeah, no fault there. feed the family. 
You might have to, maybe you got to strip down one of those reckonings and make it a hunting bow. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's actually the plan. My, so my indoor bow at the moment is actually the one I, I thought of, of taking hunting. So, yeah, <laughs> I have a, I, I still have a Bowtech Rail Next that I'll, I'll most probably use it anyway, just because I probably don't want to change my indoor bow um, after I shot a competition with it. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, hey, if anything, I know a guy who's a part owner of a bow shop in New Zealand, so he might be able to help you out. <laughs> yeah, you know, on the bow side, I should be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, before we wrap up here, is there anything else that you want to get out there or anything you want to shout out or anything like that? No, no I just want to, you know, thank, thank the people that's been been supporting me till now um it's been a hell of a ride and it's been uh, probably a surprise to some you know that ha what has happened in my career so far but it's it's not just me there's a lot of people that um, put a lot of effort into my my setup and you know i'm thinking of people like brian that's actually built those stabilizers and you know adam and dean you know, yeah. supporting supporting us, getting those stabilizers to market and all of that. And, you know, there, there's a ton of engineers building those bows that all of us shoot pretty much that, you know, there's so many un, unsung heroes in the sport that, um, yeah, if I had a chance, I wish I could um, shake everyone's hand that, that's had anything to do with, with anything in the bow industry to get the, the sport to where it's at that, um, yeah, it's it still amazes me to this day what people are able to achieve. Um, so yeah, no, thanks to everyone that supported me till now. Um, it's been amazing, and hopefully it will be even better in the future. Oh, for sure, man. All of us over here know it's just starting, and uh, we all love watching it. That's for sure. We're we're yeah. excited for you, man. You're putting yeah, in the work, and it, it it's gonna pay off one way or another. No, it has already in so many ways. For sure. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's been people that's that's been helping me out since day one that, you know, I, I don't even know how to thank um, when it comes to that. You know, people like Bass, I started talking to him when I haven't even picked up a long stabilizer and scopes and stuff like that. I was still shooting pins when I started talking to him over Facebook and that. And, um, yeah, he's been there from day one, pretty much, of any of the yeah. pros. He's been there from day one, uh, always giving you his best advice and giving you his true thoughts on something. And uh, I don't know how you can replace someone like that. And looking back in Vegas and seeing someone like him be supporting me and being so happy for me, that was, you know, incredible. Um, I know what sort of phenomenal archer he is and I know what he's capable of and I'm looking forward to the day when um, we can shoot alongside each other again um, which will be yeah. you know, next year in Vegas we'll, we'll have the opportunity to, to have a couple of rounds together again and yeah yeah, it's those sort of guys that um, I feel is you know, so beneficial to where my career has taken me to this point um, and I don't know ever how you thank someone like that and it shows you the importance of you know, the pros in our industry, helping people achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I mean, 
Dude, Henry, Henry's one of the best there is. I mean, as as far as people in this sport, he's one of the realest, and oh, I, I love the guy. I, I need to do a podcast with him. I've mentioned it to him a few times. I got a feeling we'll end up just bullshitting and and making jokes and probably never even talking about bows, but I don't care. I think it'll be fun. That's Henry <laughs> for you, though. He's, he's, he's down to earth. You know, he is who he yeah. is. If you look, if you're looking to get someone that's honest and will give you his best opinion um, with you in mind, not for him or whatever he's shooting on his bow, whatever, that's the kind of person to talk to. He's going to give you the right advice every single time. Yep, absolutely. I'm I'm calling it out now, Henry Bass. Come on, man. We got to do a podcast. <laughs> do it. <laughs> do it. I'll, I'll be the I'll be the first one to listen. Can't wait. Awesome. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, I'm going to let you get back to your day and back to the family. Um, dude, it's always awesome talking to you. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep texting and catch up soon. And I'll let you know about possibly coming to visit you in January. Yeah, man. Make it happen. My house is sure. That'd be awesome. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you. All right, man. You have a good one. Same to you, brother. See you later. All right. See ya. Bye.